Hi everybody, I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. Which, coincidentally, his original name was Taylor, so. (laughs) Uh, Well, welcome, listeners. We have an extra (laughs) creepy, ghosty story for you and Katie tonight, while Katie's sitting in the dark. I'm not fucking ready for this. So, as an update, because this will actually come out the same week that this happened, my power is currently out. It went out at like 5 p.m., I think, is what I heard from one of the neighbors. And it is currently almost 9 p.m. with no ETA on when it's getting back up. Now, you might be going, how do you have Wi-Fi then? How are you recording? My dad is a fucking superhero, and he brought <laughs> over a generator <laughs> to help me get this ready to go. So I'm currently set up in the kitchen because my back door doesn't close right now and it's fucking scaring the shit out of me um it's okay guys it's okay two-way here we're fine we'll be okay Uh. (laughs) (laughs) might just hear some pops in the background in that case you get a little bit of true crime in your fucking haunted house that's fine So, yeah, I'm I'm not in a stable state of mind to probably hear this, but you know what? I've put Reef through shit before, too, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's my turn to turn the tables on Katie and, and freak the shit out of her tonight. <laughs> you know, just while everything's dark, because I don't have a choice. I have a flashlight that's literally illuminating my face right now. That's what you've got. Perfect time to tell some scary stories. Oh, God. Yeah, my original name when I was coming into this call was scary stories to tell in the dark. And I was like, you're like, your mic wasn't working. I'm like, okay, well, now it's going to be hotter than a witch's tit. Because <laughs> it is. I've got humiditities galore going right now. Uh, oh, no. My poor cat's melting on the floor. Oh. <laughs> uh... Oh, man. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's hope for the best. Prepare for the worst, because I don't know how long that generator's got. That's right. (laughs) Oh, God. If we suddenly cut out listeners, you know what happened. (laughs) I'll put in some elevator music when I do edits. (laughs) Katie had to go Uh... refill the generator. All right, here we go with the trigger warnings, and then we'll get into some uh, real, real good setting for scary story time. <laughs> While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. 
While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we will be discussing cases involving more than one of the following. Children, sexual assault, domestic violence, and suicide. As always, listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has a child who has been victimized, please call the proper authorities and look at missingkids.org or call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's hotline at 800-843-5678 for more helpful resources. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. If you or someone you know has been a victim of domestic violence, please reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. And if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or ideation, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Now, back to the show. Welcome back from the trigger warnings, listeners. We hope you're you're still here and have maybe some more lights on than Katie does for a scary story time. <laughs> Watch, they're all gonna come back up at like the scariest point in your story, and I'm gonna scream bloody murder because I'm gonna be like, my house is haunted. <laughs> it is, but <laughs> I haven't had that type of paranormal activity yet. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, here we go. Well, today's story, I was originally really excited to tell you because of the history associated with this. It's a topic that I find very interesting, historically speaking, so I was just super excited when I came across it. However, the more I dug into it, the more I realized there's also a lot more paranormal stuff going on at this location than I originally anticipated. Oh, goody. <laughs> so it just turned into this huge case of lots of history and lots of paranormal and just a whole lot of cool stuff going on. So we have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> well, that's good news. That's some good news. Yeah, yeah. Some good news for you today. <laughs> Everything else does not seem to be good news. <laughs> I mean, the day was going great. I was having a fun time up until the power went out. And now I'm like, <laughs> this is fine. I'm uh, fine. It's like that, like, meme, that gif of that dog sitting there, like, in the yep. house that's burning. Yep, that's yeah, right. That's, that's me right now. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going to start with the history of the location, as usual. 
and uh, we're going to be talking about a location that's located near Louisville, Kentucky. So, back in 1883, Major Thomas H. Hayes purchased this particular lot uh, to have his family, and he planned to open a school for his daughter there because there was no schools located nearby, and ended up hiring Lizzie Lee Harris to teach, opening up a one-room schoolhouse in which Miss Lee recommended the name Waverly School because she was a big fan of Walter Scott's Waverly novels. Now, Hayes decided to actually name the whole property Waverly Hill because he liked this name so much. podcast but apparently oh Katie my god. <laughs> yeah no I know Waverly Hill <laughs> oh god <laughs> I <laughs> I'm like crying it's just hot it's wet <laughs> all right we'll move along then. <laughs> oh so in the late 1800s 25 percent of all deaths in the United States were from tuberculosis which was at the time known as the White Plague. Now, tuberculosis, if you're not familiar with it, is an airborne disease caused by a bacteria that devastates the lungs, body, and eventually the brain. Now, the bacteria actually eats away at the lung tissue, so this is a very graphic disease. Uh, I want to almost call it violent, if a bacteria can be violent. It's... uh, Pretty gross. Uh, It can cause feelings of weakness, weight loss, fever, and night sweats, and eventually leads to chest pain, constant coughing, hemorrhaging, and coughing up blood. Now, historically, there was severe isolation procedures as the disease is highly contagious, and it had about a one out of every seven people who would get this disease would end up passing away. Now, mm-hmm. I will briefly mention here, some countries still struggle with this disease to this day, so it has not been eradicated from the world, but in most first world nations, because of medications that we have nowadays, it is not as big of a problem as it was historically. So in the early 1900s, Jefferson County, Kentucky, was experiencing one of the largest tuberculosis outbreaks in the country. And this was due in large part from the environment of the area. It was very humid and was a low-lying swampy area with limited natural airflow. So as far as an airborne bacteria goes, it was just the perfect breeding ground for something like tuberculosis. So in 1906, the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital was established. And soon after, the board purchased the property from Hayes as it was prized for its distance from the city its scenic views, and its high altitude with good airflow. At this point, they did keep the name Waverly, but they dropped the second E in it. It was originally spelled with an E between the L and the Y, but uh, since that point on, it's been 
uh, historically in records recorded as Waverly without a second E. In 1908, ground was officially broken and the hospital, or I should say the first hospital, was built at the cost of $25,000. In July 26, 1910, Waverly Hills Sanatorium officially opened as a two-story wooden sanatorium with two open-air pavilions of which each were designed to hold 20 patients. By 1914, they had wards for men, women, and children, and they had added on additional pavilions to try to increase the building's capacity. However, these expansions were not enough. Eventually, they packed in over 140 people, and there was still a waiting list to get into the sanatorium. So, starting in March 1924, construction started on a $11 million five-story brick and concrete building designed by a local architect, D.X. Murphy. Now, this building officially opened in October 17, 1926, at which point it expanded the hospital to 180,000 square feet, which could at that point accommodate up to 400 patients. Now, this building was considered to be the most advanced tuberculosis treatment facility in the entire United States at that time. And uh, one really interesting like fact I just found when I was researching this is, I don't know at what time this happened, but apparently at some point they had actually had each room had a spot where you could plug in headphones so that patients could listen to music instead of the coughing of the other 399 people in the building. <laughs> so I thought that was uh, pretty considerate and high tech, it seemed, for <laughs> early 1900s. I was going to say, I'm like, that's pretty high tech for early 1900s. Yeah. So I'm, I wish they'd said what year that was installed. Cause I can't imagine that was when it first opened. That had to be later in oh, later yeah, years, no. like probably closer to mid 1900s, but still I was shocked. I was like, Oh, fancy. <laughs> that's very fancy. Very considerate of the patients too. Yeah. Now, because like I said, this disease was highly contagious and there was a very so strict quarantine they actually created, turned the hospital into a self-contained community. So it had its own laundry facilities, a maintenance garage, butchery, post office, and several hundred acres of farmland, including livestock, to support the hospital. And the hospital area actually had its own zip code. It was so contained away from everything else. However, this meant that doctors and other employees were not allowed to leave the grounds as they were trying to prevent any sort of spread of the disease from leaving this area. So that brings us to uh, something we'll definitely come back and talk to you more when we get to the paranormal side of things. The 485-foot tunnel, which is nowadays called the death tunnel or body chute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Waverly actually isn't the only place that did this. It's oh. very common. In those types of days when you didn't have, like, big coolers or anything to put bodies in, the easiest way to keep them in a situation where you're going to slow the rate of decay is by putting them underground so it's cooler. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, old buildings that do that that are also haunted. But, yeah, <laughs> that was a very popular way of preserving the dead and also getting them out of a certain area without being seen by other people. 
Yeah, and that was definitely... It wasn't the original purpose when they installed the tunnel at this location. They originally installed it more as a corridor for employees to use and then to transport supplies. But when the death rate really picked up, that's what it turned mm -hmm. into is more of a passageway to... I don't want to say secretly. I don't feel like that's the right word. But uh, trying to transport the dead in a manner that they were... It's more discretionary. Thank you. That's a good way to put yeah. it. Because uh, at, at the peak of the uh, pandemic, or excuse me, epidemic, I'd have to look back at my notes. I believe it was one death a day at the peak. And so, I mean, there mm -hmm. was a lot of people dying and they were really concerned about the morale of the other patients if they see that the other patients are dying relatively frequently. And so it turned into a situation of how can we give them hope? And that was in part trying to transport the dead in such a manner that they weren't just being paraded through all the other patients. Yeah. So this tunnel did end up being used for it, which is where it got its name, the death tunnel or the body chute. And it does have over 150 steps on one side. And then on the other side, they actually had a motorized cable system that would actually carry the coffins down for them at a 45 degree angle so that it could be then loaded into the hearst and taken off to be cremated or buried. So <laughs> very handy, though very grim. Uh <laughs> <laughs> One uh, side note I did want to mention that was interesting was apparently in the winter, it was actually warmer than the outside. And so they speculated that a lot of employees probably chose to enter through that route anyways, because it probably would have been warmer than shuffling through the snow and more comfortable. Uh, <laughs> and, but another thing I wanted to mention really quick too is this year, because there's tours of the facility, a tour group actually had to exit through the body chute because there was a tornado warning. <laughs> so I don't know how people felt about that. But <laughs> I'd be a little nervous. I'd be like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the way I'd want to exit. <laughs> no, as I'm sitting here, like, continuously looking at my window, I'm like, no flash pedestrians tonight, please. I can't. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, no, thank you. <laughs> So I'd like to go over some treatments uh, for tuberculosis at this time period, just to give you and the listeners an, an idea of just what a lot of these patients were going through, what they were experiencing, especially when later we're talking about ghosts that may have arisen from what these patients suffered. It, I think it's important to understand some of the treatments that existed. So the most mm -hmm. common treatment was actually really simple. It was just fresh air, uh, nutritional food, lots of rest, and lots of sunshine was the most common treatment for tuber tuberculosis historically since they didn't really have any other good way of combating it. So they had a lot of solariums where patients could soak up the sun for up to 13 hours a day. <laughs> and the rooms actually opened up so that the beds could be wheeled out and there was no windows, only screens. So there was this constant airflow refreshing the air for the tuberculosis patients uh, since they were hoping that lots of fresh air would help their lungs heal. However... Because fresh air was the treatment, these patients were kept outside on these iron bedsteads 
in the breezeway regardless of the weather. So even if it was snowing, they would still be out there below freezing temperatures, snow falling on them, and that was considered treatment. And in such conditions, I mean, they'd have a bunch of blankets stacked on them, but that just makes it harder for them to breathe if they're already struggling to breathe. So it wasn't really a good situation in that regard in the winter. Yeah, as a person that has poor lungs to begin with, like, I... I talked a good game about going back where it's cold. It really didn't bother me when I was living in Harriman, but <laughs> I know that when it drops to a certain temperature, when you go outside and you take that first hit of like cold, crisp air, oh yeah, it burns mm-hmm. and it hurts to breathe for a moment until you're actually like, okay, so it's just cold out here. But in those first moments, and I can't imagine like being that sick too and yeah. being outside in that weather. Like I've been outside with pneumonia before like that and it it hurts it really hurts i can't imagine having possible sores and lesions on my lungs and just feeling like that cold air come in and whip through it oh god oh yeah for sure yeah i definitely can remember growing up in colorado especially with asthma a similar feeling of just that cold air hitting your lungs just feel like oh so yeah, I can't imagine at all. And I mean, this wasn't even a brief stint. I mean, they were out, if they weren't out in it, I mean, even overnight, they were in their rooms, but there was no windows. It was just screens. So they basically were constantly in these temperatures in the winter. So I just, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. That had to be terrible. No, that's, that's horrifying. One other interesting thing that I found out when researching this was apparently this is when electric blankets were originally invented was when tuberculosis patients were being kept out in the cold all the time, that apparently that was one of the original intentions of electric blankets was supposedly to keep these patients warm when they're outside in freezing temperatures. <laughs> so that was interesting to find out. Um, but moving on with some of the other treatments that, that patients face. So if a patient was really, really ill, was not improving, and, and the outlook was not good, a lot of time they'd actually be wheeled into the what was called uh, the inner rooms, which were called the terminal rooms, because they were trying to free up space for patients that they thought might have a chance of making it, kind of like a triage triage situation. How And so, I mean, I can't imagine what it would have felt like to be wheeled into one of those rooms knowing that that's where people went when there wasn't much hope left. And I mean, at that point there, like I said, there wasn't really a lot of treatments. There wasn't a lot to do. So in the case of some people, if, if they were rich, some rich people would actually pay for experimental treatments because that would kind of be the last ditch effort of nothing else is working. Like let's try anything to save their life at that point. So there's a few different experimental treatments that happened at Waverly Hills on the fourth floor, and that included what they called sunrooms, where lungs were exposed to ultraviolet light because they thought it would slow the spread of bacteria. I'm sorry, my mind's like, am I thinking of that the right way? Like, slice them up, like, autopsy? No! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty horrified when I thought that the first time. I was like, wait, wait, how does that work? That's not how that works, right? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. 
bad. Oh, no, 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 no. It just kind of gets worse from there, too. Oh, no. (laughs) Other experimental treatments included surgically implanting balloons inside of the lungs and filling with them with air. Not really sure why they thought that would help, but it was one of the experimental treatments they tried. (laughs) Katie's making all sorts of faces over there. That's why I'm laughing. I've got noises going on outside, too, so I'm like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that I can think for their thinking, like, oh, let's put a balloon in there, is that, oh, well, maybe if we can start making it, like, expand again and, like, do exercises that way, maybe we can rehabilitate to be actually able to breathe, but with that type of a virus, you do more damage than good, man. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I just, I'm already imagining, even if you didn't have lungs that were being eaten alive, basically, even just regular lungs, I can't, Im- that's, that's some really sensitive tissue. So to uh-huh. put something rubber in there and inflate it, that just seems like a bad idea. If it's also it. not like a lung is completely like, oh, Air bubble. That's not how that works. No. That's not, not how that works at all, okay? No. It's not an air bubble in your body. Like, it is a thick <laughs> hunk of meat. Oh, yeah. God, I hate how I phrase that. It's a thick <laughs> hunk of human tissue. We're not going Jeffrey Dahmer tonight, okay? <laughs> it's a thick hunk of human tissue that has oh. branching, like, brachii and stuff in it to actually have the air be absorbed into the bloodstream, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, a couple <sighs> more experimental treatments. Uh, getting a little bit more graphic here. The chest muscles and ribs, not all the ribs, but the upper ribs and chest muscles would be removed because the lungs were enlarged. It was believed that if the ribs were removed as well as those muscles, it would allow the lungs to expand and ease the breathing of the individual. However, it did not have that effect. <laughs> there for a reason please yeah (laughs) please stop (laughs) (laughs) they also would again not i i think that that what they're getting at here is maybe if we remove the diseased tissue the healthy tissue will live not entirely sure but they would also partially remove pieces of the lung and see if the lung could recover and statistically only five percent of people survived that procedure Okay, I can understand that one a little bit more. It's like, if yeah. you get rid of the infected tissue, the infection goes away. And then you just use antibiotics to heal the wound. I get that. The yeah, removing of ribs, yeah. the opening you up to look at the sunlight, <laughs> like you're... Put you the sunlight. Goddamn Operation Board Game! <laughs> uh, seriously, it's like that. Oh my god. And the balloon oh. in the lung, when it's... It's not, it's not an open space. <laughs> Like, those ones, hit and a miss, people. Hit and a miss, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. The The final treatment that I was going to cover is just uh, they would manually collapse patients' lungs. <laughs> they thought it would let the <sighs> lung rest by collapsing it, that that would let it rest oh. and heal. <laughs> okay, so... If you've never had a collapsed lung, I have not had the privilege of it, but the closest that you get to, <laughs> like, I think it's called a pneumothorax, 
is the clinical term to it. When you knock the wind out of you, that is probably the closest you get to that feeling of your lung has collapsed because it's literally that tissue that lines the lung to stick to your rib cage and keep it up has basically popped off a little bit and came right back up. That's what knocks the air out of you. That's what it is. <laughs> Except <laughs> this time it didn't come back up. It's just chilling out down below like, <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, none of these treatments were very successful as you can imagine. And most of them, if not all of them, left the patients in excruciating pain and often resulted in death. And so while they were trying to find a cure, it definitely was not working. <laughs> Are we fucking shocked by this? <laughs> you had one good thought out of a list of bad ones, okay? We're shocked that, oh, these patients didn't make it. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they were just trying to trying anything they could to figure out what would work, kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of method, oh, no. <laughs> which is really unfortunate when you are dealing with people's lives. <laughs> They're just playing darts in the fucking conference room with a bunch of random people's ideas on the board and whatever hits one. It's like, yeah, we could try that. Oh, we'll open up a uh, Billy Bob today. Let's see if his lungs like the sunlight. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, oh, God. So, thank goodness, in 1944, a new antibiotic, streptomycin, was discovered. However, it was not available at Waverly Hills for another five years. How, but this antibiotic was uh, the really the big breakthrough for treating tuberculosis. It finally allowed patients to be treated as outpatients in a regular hospital. And really started reducing tuberculosis cases. This is really where we start to see things finally improving. There was still a small jump in cases after World War II when a lot of soldiers returned home from the war with tuberculosis, oftentimes in very progressive stages to the point where they often lived no more than a week after arriving at the hospital. But besides that, the tuberculosis cases generally continued to decline to the point where eventually the hospital was no longer necessary and it shut down in June of 1961. Okay. So we got some hauntings coming from there. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. <laughs> in any case, the building laid vacant for about a year before the nursing home Woodhaven Geriatric Center opened in 1962. And they, it was intended for patients with mobility limitations, dementia, and severe mental health conditions. Oh, those poor people. Yeah. Now, they also used experimental treatments, including electroshock therapy. That was a common therapy, or, or excuse me, a common treatment at that time. So, I mean, that wasn't anything out of the nor ordinary for that time period, but it was an experimental treatment. I hate it. Oh, yeah. <sighs> and to make it worse, during the 1960s and 1970s, so right around the time this facility opened, uh, facilities of this kind were facing a lot of budget cuts across the United States. And so 
there was documented across the country at different mental institutions really horrible conditions and unusual treatments. And unfortunately, Woodhaven was not an exception to this rule. A grand jury did end up finding several cases of patient abuse and facilities not being maintained, which ended up leading to the nursing home being shut down by the state of Kentucky in 1982. So it was only open for 20 years before it was shut down. And while some of these stories of patient neglect were disproven, others have been proven true. So we do know for a fact there was elderly neglect going on uh, at this facility. And when it was shut down, the buildings and land were auctioned off. Now, real briefly, I'll cover just the little bit of history leading up to um, current day as far as what else has happened on the land. Those are the two major pieces of history we're referring back to when we're thinking paranormal, but I will talk about really quick what else has happened. <laughs> so in 1983, Jay Clifford Todd purchased the property, uh, wanting to use it for a minimum security prison. <laughs> But the neighbors didn't like that, so they protested and got that shut down real fast. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> Sounds like just one more, like, step into, like, making the worst paranormal soup you can. Oh, the yeah. The soup is not good. Yep. <laughs> the soup is not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> the soup is not good. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, so then he was like, okay, okay. So minimum security prison didn't work out. I'm going to renovate this building and turn it into an apartment complex. Which oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much my reaction, too. I was like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> this is how we get haunted apartments. <laughs> Chrissy, wake up! <laughs> So it was not turned into apartments. <laughs> Thank God. But it gets even better. Just wait. <laughs> this is oh, why. does it? Does it now? <laughs> this is why I was like, I gotta cover the history leading up because it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> so in March 1996, a Robert Albert Hayski purchases Waverly Hills and the surrounding property. <laughs> To build the world's tallest statue of Jesus at 150 feet on the roof of the sanatorium. Because <laughs> y'all need Jesus. I mean, yeah, these bitches, y'all need Jesus. But I don't think Jesus gonna come. I think he gonna look at this place, he gonna go, you know, my buddy, my friend, the devil is among us here and I'm just gonna fucking step aside. Let him have this one. I fucking can't. Oh, gosh. I know it's like of all the places. <laughs> so much death that's happened here. And you're like, let's put Jesus right here. Like, okay. Let's bring Jesus into the mix. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so the first phase of this project would cost $4 million. That's just the first phase. The second what is that? Thing. His legs just from the waist <laughs> fucking down? No, that's that's his whole body. So that's Jesus. Jesus costs four oh, million dollars. Okay. He's an Jesus costs four million dollars. Okay. No wonder I haven't found him. I'm fucking poor. 
so bad. Oh, I can fucking pass out. I can't laugh like that right now. <laughs> Too hot for that shit. Now the second phase cost $8 million, so twice as much as Jesus, to bring in a chapel, a theater, and a gift shop. Because you definitely need a gift shop. Now they could only crowdfund $3,000 in a year, so the project ended up being canceled in December of 1997. Did they get any part of him built? Is his foot on the roof? I need to know if Jesus has stepped onto Waverly Hills. Okay. No, Jesus never stepped foot on Waverly Hills. See, I told you, this man was like, nah, I'm not about it. Four million. You're going to have to raise the budget, man. This is not blessed land. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't go here. I cannot go here. Oh, no. Uh, now, I will mention, I only found this, not the, what I just said, but what I'm going to say, I only found in one source, so I'm not sure if it's true, but one of my sources did indicate that Albert Heisky invited vandals in to try to get the building illegally condemned and also tried to ruin the foundation himself by digging around it after an injunction prevented him from tearing down the main hospital building. But I couldn't find any other sources stating that, so I'm not sure if that's true or not. I found multiple sources about the, the world's tallest statue of Jesus, so that was definitely a thing. I don't know <laughs> if it's true that he invited vandals in. Vandals definitely got in, whether he invited them or not, I'm not sure. But that was kind of an interesting tidbit, too. So that brings us to 2001. Charlie and Tina Matting Mattingly purchased the property to restore it with Charlie's father, who was a former orderly at Waverly Hills for four years. Now, Charlie's father did end up passing away four years later in 2005, but the couple continued the restoration in memory of him. Shortly after they established the Waverly Hills Historical Society to preserve the building's history, and today the building is on the National Register for Historic Places. Now, while the owners specifically purchased the property for its historical value, they have since experienced uh, paranormal activity in the building and have become believers of the paranormal after uh, moving into this property and spending so much time in it restoring it. So since then, it's become much more well-known for paranormal activity uh, since they started restoring it and have spent so much time in it. And... Uh, honestly, I think what, what first started bringing it up so much was a lot of volunteers were experiencing things in addition to the two owners, and that was kind of what really kicked up a lot of paranormal investigators getting interested in the spot and checking it out. Of course, there was before that uh, local teenagers breaking in to do <laughs> who knows what. So, I mean, you might have had some, some weird rituals going on or Ouija board stuff. Who knows what happened when it was laying vacant for years, but uh, this was when a lot of the more official ghost investigators really got interested. I can tell you right now, I've seen a lot of fucking urban exploration that they bring the goddamn Ouija board in with them oh, to that place. No. I'm like, will you not? No. <laughs> I say no. <laughs> can, can you fucking not? <laughs> <laughs> Once in the day we were at Ross and he's all like, what was it? Oh, he found a, a a rug that was modeled off of, it's not a we real Ouija board but it says like welcome but then it has like yes no and goodbye on it and he was like making jokes about buying it I was like no if it even vaguely represents a Ouija board I don't want it in my house <laughs> and meanwhile I'm over here I'm like you know what I got at fucking spirit Halloween the other day hold on let me grab this shit let me grab this shit 
That's the wrong mint case. Hold on. <laughs> you hear me shuffling through my bag right now. I got... Oh, no. No. And guess what? Guess what? Guess fucking what? Guess fucking what? What? I'm so excited for this. If I could get it fucking open. Hold on. <laughs> my hands are sweaty. These make arms are heavy. <laughs> I haven't vomited on my sweater yet. Oh, God. Okay, but one came out, so we're good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> little planchettes. The mints are little planchettes. Oh, no. They're the worst. They're so cute. Oh, I'm so happy to have it. No. <laughs> For those of you listeners who can't see Katie's camera, she has a little Ouija board mint case. I absolutely... <laughs> Do not like that. <laughs> no, he's like, he no. will leave that in your car no. if you ever come to visit yeah. me. Do not bring that in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uh, cute. I love it. <laughs> All right. Run, don't walk to Spirit Halloween. They're open. <laughs> oh, I will. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, now, before we officially get into the paranormal, I know we've spent half of our time today talking about history, but there's a lot of history to this place, so I didn't want to gloss over the history, because the history really is why the paranormal's here, honestly. But in any case, I want to briefly go over some of the, the major deaths uh, that have been noted historically of what that are connected to some potential, potential spiritual activity. <laughs> so we'll review that really briefly. So... I will state up front, many patients did make a full recovery from tuberculosis and re-entered society. Uh, so it wasn't, like I said, it was only one out of seven was the average death rate. So, I mean, you still have six out of seven people recovering and going on to live their lives. So it wasn't like a 100% death rate by any means. However, many patients did still pass away. And there's a lot of rumors. If you look up Waverly Hills, I found a lot of sources that were saying somewhere between 60,000 and 63,000 patients passed away however actual records indicate the number is much closer to 6,000 deaths so we're still talking a lot about a lot of deaths in one location but we're talking about a tenth as many deaths as a lot of people say happened at Waverly Hills so I did want to clarify that before we move on I also wanted to mention there's now a database of patients who died in the tuberculosis hospital and it has pretty detailed records, including age, race, sex, and cause of death. And so I will list that in my sources in case anyone is interested in that for research purposes. Now, for the specific deaths I wanted to overview really quick, there is a story that probably, I would say it's probably the biggest urban legend when I was reading about this. Because it's not, it's one of those stories of like, we're not 100% sure if it's true. So it's told that a nurse hanged herself in room 502 at the age of 29. And there's a couple variations on this story. Most of the stories say that it was after becoming pregnant out of wedlock, uh, which in that time period she would have been shunned if it was found out that she was pregnant and not married. I mean, that would have been a very hard life to lead as a single pregnant woman with no husband. Uh, but And some stories even say it was following an abortion. There was a couple sources that stated that a fetus was found in the fifth floor well at the same time they discovered her body, um, the body of the nurse hanging. Uh, I wanted to quickly mention, I wouldn't say 100% that's an abortion. It could have just been a miscarriage. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I don't get me on my soapbox, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's not always abortion. It can it can be an honest miscarriage where it was not an intentional anything. It just happened. Like these things mm-hmm. do happen. So. Uh, I think a lot of people might be saying abortion to dramatize it because abortion's a dirty word. Uh, at least we seem to act like it is. But <laughs> in any <laughs> case, <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because that's a huge urban legend surrounding this location and it is connected with one of the potential spirits that we have going on. Another story tells of a, another nurse who a couple years later jumped off the roof of the building And that story goes either that she was diagnosed with tuberculosis and that's what made her decide to jump off the roof. And then other stories don't really specify why. But I mean, if you even think about current day events with COVID-19, just what a lot of nurses and doctors were going through, seeing so many patients dying early on in the pandemic and not knowing how to save them. And then even having like family members and friends, people they knew in their community and seeing them suffer. I mean... We already know a lot of nurses and doctors have been having, like, mental health crises and really suffering during this pandemic. So I can only imagine with the tuberculosis endemic, especially being cut off from the community, being in in this hospital where you can't leave and go back into society. You have to stay in that hospital your entire time for those two decades or working there or however long it is that that had to be really hard on the nurses and doctors as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those physicians were struggling with mental health as well. And I will mention as well, there's rumors that patients also committed suicide by jumping off of the roof, but I only found this in one source mentioning this, uh, whereas almost every source I read otherwise mentioned the two nurses. That's a, Those are very well-known urban legends surrounding this location, whereas the patients committing suicide, that I didn't really see as much. And there was one story I came across that was particularly horrifying, and I threw this in there. This isn't a death, but I wouldn't be surprised if it led to a death. One summer, the cable in the body chute got tangled up, and so somebody was trying to untangle it when it accidentally got turned on, and it actually ripped his arm straight off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, that is my worst nightmare. And I don't know if this is true. This is just how the story goes. But apparently one of the maintenance workers supposedly threw the arm into the coffin they were transporting and just kind of like went on his way. I feel like that's (laughs) got (laughs) to... Random hard. This guy has two already. Oh, well, now he's got three. (laughs) What? (laughs) Now he's got three. Fucking taking, giving you a hand to the next level. Are you shitting my dick? What the fuck? Oh, my God. Yeah, so I feel like that could definitely be a, a dramatization of the story, but not 100% sure. So, no, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rewriting history. My brain's telling me that's exactly what went down. This man looked at this arm, counted the arms on the coffin, mate, and then he went, eh, okay, and like chucked it in, okay? He was like, let me give you a hand, sir. Oh my God. You won't be needing this anymore. Oh my gosh. So yeah, as you can see, there's a lot of death, a lot of violence, a lot of negative things, events that happened in this location. So you can only imagine what the energy is like in this place and how that could influence any sort of spiritual activity. 
so let's dig into the, the creepy paranormal things now. <laughs> Alright, so there's a lot going on here at this location. We're going to dive right into it. Uh, hopefully I'm not jumping around a little too much. But here we go. So starting a little bit more general, uh, we have full apparitions, shadow figures, and disembodied voices happening. And I did want to mention up front here, a lot of people actually believe that a lot of the spirits came from the neglected elderly patients from the geriatric facility. And while some spirits have definitely come from the, the tuberculosis hospital, it's believed that uh, there is definitely some coming from both. So we're not just talking about spirits from the tuberculosis facility. We're also talking about spirits from the geriatric facility. As you can imagine, there's probably deaths occurring there too, since you're dealing with people at the end of their lifespan. Yeah. And if they're being Ugh. neglected, you have traumatic deaths happening that way too. Yeah. And not to mention it's a problem nowadays in our elderly care home, care home facilities. But when you think about it, there's other things at work other, outside of neglect. There's abuse happening in these homes. There's mm -hmm. a lot of mismanaged care. There's a lot of not caring for the patient. That's why it was like, it's, it's a horrible way to just go. And, like, I understand if you don't have the proper training to take care of your loved one, please at least vet the place. Don't just stick them in a random area and be like, okay, they're good to go. Because a lot of the times they're not, and there's things happening behind closed doors. And if you have somebody that's suffering with dementia or some other type of Alzheimer's per se, it becomes really hard to tell what's going on and what's real to them and what's real in real life. So vet your places first, okay? Make sure that you're Definitely. putting somebody you love in trusted hands. Yes, because unfortunately, like Katie said, this is something that still happens today. I would hope it is not as prevalent as it was in that time period, but elder neglect, unfortunately, does still happen. And so do make sure that the place you're putting your loved one is a place that's going to take care of them for sure. Because mm -hmm. just like Katie said as well, um, with the whole dementia thing, you really don't know at that point. So definitely vet it ahead of time. That's very important. Now, um, just some general, again, some general things going on. So a guard witnessed a floating head in one of the rooms. And after that, he never came back. <laughs> Can't really blame him. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm like nervous laughing. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh. And uh, a tour guide uh, has referred to one of the spirits, apparently, as Big Black. And this one is particularly horrifying to me. Apparently, it's a shadow figure that is so large it engulfs the entire hall in darkness as it moves towards you. So you just see, like, the doors just disappearing into the dark as it comes towards you. It's like straight out of a horror movie. It's great. That's a fucking no. That's a back the hell out of this hallway. Get out of there. <laughs> exactly. Run! <laughs> run, <laughs> run! That is an I'm leaving the building kind of moment. <laughs> that is a life-changing decision there. Get enveloped into the darkness or fucking go. That is a flight or fight response if I've ever seen one. It actually, right. I don't know how you're going to fight the ghost. So it's like... 
fight or fawn. You're either going to stand there and be like, deer in the headlights, or you're going. <laughs> right? Although I imagine oh. there's some guy out there that's like, I can take him, and like runs into it and is just never seen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't really like the, the sound of that one. That one's a nope for me. That's a fucking no. <laughs> Uh, people have been touched and had objects thrown at them. However, I will say it's not always negative. Some people have had, uh, it felt like their hands were being held as they walked down the hallway. So it's sometimes more of a positive light, but could be negative too. Oh, right. I was like, that touches my heart. There's some, there's some nice ghosts here. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it balances out the creepy shit. I fucking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of cases of doors slamming, lights turning on when there's no electricity in the building at the time, footsteps, and one of the things that really got me is uh, many of the cases of doors slamming and other paranormal activity takes place on the fourth floor where the experimental surgeries took place. And so one particular witness that heard doors slamming on the fourth floor at the time they were there, that was before a lot of the renovations had been done. So the area where they were hearing the door slamming, the floors had fallen through. So it wasn't even possible for a person to be standing in there slamming a door. And like these were heavy doors too. So it's not like the wind could just blow them shut. So that got me. That was definitely a, oh another nope no. situation for me. Oh no. Yeah, because it says he was a skeptic, and he was immediately like, who is here with us? You told me it was just me and you, and his friend was like, no, it is just me and you, and he didn't believe them when they said the floor is falling through, there can't be anybody over there, so he like actually went and looked, and the, the floor was gone. There's no way there could be somebody over there. He's the guy that will fight the ghost. He is the guy that will fight the ghost. He's the guy that will fight the ghost. <laughs> Honorary Ghostbuster without the equipment. He's going in fist flailing. Good luck to you, sir. Good luck to you, sir. I will not have your back on that. And since I mentioned the fourth floor, I will also say that the fourth floor operating room is an area where people will often get headaches and others have experienced pain in their side. And one man was even punched in the back hard enough he got a bruise on his back. So again, like I said, some of it's positive touching, some of it's negative touching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some of the more recent claims, uh, and by recent I mean of the episodes I watched, I, I would have to go back and look and see what year that was from, but the mo one of the more recent episodes, they said... Uh, so some new things that were coming about was the sounds of heart monitors and then these really just blood curdling screams coming out of the building, which there was, it was interesting. There was a woman who said that when she was a child, she had grown up just outside of the, I, I believe it was the sanatorium, not the elderly care facility. I believe it was the sanatorium. And that they did hear screaming coming from the facility sometimes. And so, I mean, that is something that we have witnesses saying that that was something happening historically. And I mean, you could only imagine with what they were going through. And so that almost feels to be like a residual kind of haunt. I am. Uh, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it in either time period. I just don't like it. No, no, not really. Don't like it at all. 
Now, this location is supposedly famous for doppelgangers. Now, if you're not familiar with the word doppelganger, it is based on, well, it's a German word. It's based from a German word from 1830, which means double goer. And it represents the ghostly double of a living person. And often there's a legend that if you see your doppelganger, it's usually bad luck or you're going to die. It's usually not a good thing. <laughs> so it's really bad if you see your doppelganger. You don't want to see your doppelganger. But multiple people have reported here at Waverly Hills seeing what they thought was their reflection only to realize there was no glass in the window. So there was nothing that they could be looking at that would be reflecting their face back at them. And they were seeing their own face. Uh, mm -mm. I don't like it either. Especially if you're mm -mm. like on a higher floor. They didn't say what floor they're on, but especially if I'm like on the fourth floor and there's no glass and I'm seeing my own face. It's like, no, there's no glass. And it's not even like another person could be standing there. Just, no, I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. That's a no-go, man. Nope. I'm like... Ugh. See, and, and that was something where I was like, that's really creepy. I don't like that. But, you know, maybe it's just people, you know, they're, they're doing these ghost tours. They're already kind of in the zone, you know, and you, you, you drank three Red Bulls to stay up all night, and now you're just kind of out of it, you know? So I was like, okay, okay, you know, maybe people are just overreact a little bit. Like, I can't say I have never been there. I've definitely been there where you overreact a little bit because you're just tired you, you're feeling it, you know. Um, you're just, you're Maybe just you read a scary out. book. Exactly. You're just in that mood of expecting to see something. And so I was like, you know, maybe that's what's going on here. But then this, you know, this maybe got... your power has gone out and your best friend's telling you ghost stories. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect example, Kate. <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> here's, the, here's the doppelganger bit that got me. So Mike Flickner, one of the tour guides, said that, uh, th so this is multiple occasions this has happened. One occasion was that a, he came up to this tour group and they, had, they said they had just sworn they had just seen him. And they were frustrated because apparently they'd been trying to talk to him and he just walked away and ignored them. And so they were just super pissed off and I'm like, dude, why were you ignoring us? And he was like, I wasn't up here. I haven't been on this floor all night. What are you talking about? And it gets even better because he says there's been times where, like, other employees and tourists have seen him, like, see, thought, thought they've seen him and told him later, like, hey, yeah, I saw you this one time. And he wasn't even in the building when they saw him, supposedly. Like, he wasn't even on the hill the building is located on. <laughs> I don't like that. That was definitely a big nope for me. I was like, oh, no, that's a big nope. Nope, nope, nope. It's when you quit your job and you find a new one, friend. <laughs> yeah, if this is happening multiple times, it's like, huh, that's not a good sign. I don't like that. Something does not want you there. Get nope. out. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, just no. Oh, nay, nay. Oh, oh yeah. Nay, nay. Now, before I go into some of the other specific ghosts, I wanted to real quick just cover a couple of the shows that I watched and just some highlights from that. So the Ghost Hunters have actually done two regular episodes there and a Halloween special at the location. 
I watched two of the three, so check out my sources. I would definitely recommend watching them. They were, they got some good stuff, actually. I was really shocked. Most of the time I watch those shows, and I'm just like, oh, this is entertaining, but, you know, they don't always get stuff where I'm just like, wow. But this time they actually got some stuff that I was like, wow. <laughs> so definitely go check it out, because I'm not going to, like, summarize the whole thing here. But uh, I, in, in the Halloween special, which I did not watch, but when I was reading one of the articles, they said they got an EVP of a growl in the nurse's ward, which I noted because I just found that interesting. Uh, but they also got female moaning in the body shoot, as well as uh, some in seemingly intelligent responses in the body shoot. So it definitely seems like there's something going on in the body shoot. There was uh, spirits touching the investigators, grabbing the investigators. One of the most compelling things I saw was they got a really good thermal image of uh, legs crossing the second floor hall. And they were the size that looked like a child's legs, like a child running across the hallway. Hey, yay, yay. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. I was like, ooh, thermal. Don't see too much on thermal that's like that crisp and clear. Like, ooh. Ugh. And just the, the size of it, it was too big to be an animal. Because at first I was just like, it's an animal. And they said the same thing. But then when they actually like went and measured it out and figured out how big it would have been, it had to be like three, three and a half to four feet tall. <laughs> I mean, that's no fucking house cat. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a big boy. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Ugh. Ugh. They also caught on camera, I don't really know how to describe it. I wouldn't call it an orb. It wasn't really an orb, but kind of this misty, shadowy, circular entity, I suppose you could call it. And it kind of flew across the hall from one wall, go going through one wall into another wall. Uh, so definitely wasn't dust. Definitely was not an animal. That was a little freaky. Uh, so they got some good stuff. Go check them out. Like I said, I did not summarize everything they found. Just a few things that really got me. But there was, there was a lot of cool stuff they got. Um, and then I also watched the Ghost Adventures episode. Again, check my sources. And uh, they got some really creepy EVPs. So I'll just read two that <laughs> really creeped me out. But they got a whole boatload of them that I was like, ooh. If those are real, I don't like that. So they got one that sound it sounds almost like a kid whispering, but I mean who knows? But it, it was uh, they asked the spirit to come stand next to him, and it sounded like somebody whispering, "That would be evil." <laughs> I was like, I like that. <laughs> Are you evil? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That'd be my response. This is why I'm not a ghost hunter. I'd be like, "Are you evil?" <laughs> Oh, and then the one that was super creepy. So I, in the back of my head, I'm like, was a staged because I could believe it on ghost adventures, but <laughs> Zach was in a body tray in the morgue because that's what you do. Apparently. Of course he was. <laughs> of course he fucking was. <laughs> Why this man thinks he can push boundaries with the paranormal. I do not fucking know. <laughs> And, and these are the three original body trays to the morgue from the tuberculosis hospital. The, the three body trays. Sir! <laughs> and, and they got an EVP right when they were like talking about, okay, we're going to pull them out from the body tray. They caught an EVP of a spirit saying, I'll keep him. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, God. Oh, gosh. 
I yeah. imagine this is a young Zach Baggins that I used to crush on in high school until I got older and wiser with my spiritual communications. I'm like, I don't like how you conduct your investigations, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel that. I feel you. <laughs> I think most of the world feels me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just wanted to briefly throw those out, um, that they did catch some interesting stuff. So if you're into that, definitely go check those shows out. Uh, now, as far as other investigators besides them, uh, I was reading one of the articles said that other investigators have actually gotten EVPs in multiple languages, and it's believed that those could be the World War II soldiers on the third floor, since a lot of those soldiers would come back having learned other languages, and it's known that a bunch of those soldiers were treated here on the third floor, so that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was interesting. There's also, uh, I would imagine, had to be a more recent death led to the spirit, but who knows. Uh, there's the ghost of a homeless man with long hair and a trench coat accompanied by his ghostly white dog. And the reason why we know this was a ghost is that the police actually had to break into the elevator shaft to recover their bodies at one point. And so there was a homeless man with a white dog who lived in the building when it was laying vacant for a while and unfortunately ended up passing away inside of the building and apparently has now been cited haunting the building. So back to some of the other uh, ghosts that are coming more from the history we discussed before. So the tuberculosis hospital and the geriatric facility. The Specifically from the geriatric facility, there is a ghost of an old woman who's been cited near the entrance and she's been seen sometimes running out the door with her hands and legs bleeding and in chains crying for help. And back then it was completely illegal to physically restrain dementia patients, which is very horrifying to think about. I'm not sure that's how they would have done it, uh, but it was legal at that time to physically restrain dementia patients. Oh my fucking God. I'm internally screaming because there's a crack in my door and I don't want to scare my neighbors right now. But if I could, you'd know damn good and well, I'd be hunched over just screaming in horror. That's a horror movie. That's that is fucking supernatural meets Scooby-Doo. Okay. Oh, that is not good. Yep. Yeah, that that is horror movie shit. And it it's like horrifying but also really sad to think that this is probably an elderly lady who had dementia and was strapped down because they didn't want her wandering out the front door mm-hmm. and that's just that's just so sad it's it's very sad especially when you know that these people were probably living out the last bits of their lives like this that's yeah it's heartbreaking it's terrifying for them and for everybody involved in their ghostly apparitions Yeah. So Marie St. Clair was a psychic who did a brief investigation into this location. And I wanted to specifically throw her in right here because she actually mentioned the old woman with the buddy cuffs. And so I wanted to kind of tie that in. Now, Mm -hmm. she did believe that most of the activity, uh, as far as paranormal activity going on, resulted from the geriatric facility and not the tuberculosis hospital. So she was one of those people that does feel like there's more negative energy resulting from the elderly home. However, she did speak specifically of the 
like I said, the old woman with the bloody cuffs that I just mentioned. And she said, in her opinion, that the cuffs were symbolic and that in real life she was restrained, but not quite in such a manner. Uh, but she did face elderly patient neglect and was waiting for her family to come to bring her home. So, one of those really sad situations that does still happen today of, unfortunately, there's some cases where people may drop a elderly family member off at one of these places and then just never visit again. And the psychic is picking up on this one particular lady that that was kind of the situation she had. Now, I will state that the ladies over at True Hauntings Podcast, definitely go check them out. They're awesome. Uh, where I got the specific info from about the psychic, uh, they brought up the good point of people had been seeing the spirit of the elderly woman with the bloody cuffs. They likely were posting about it on blogs or social media or wherever it is people talk about these things. Now, to the psychic, was it a situation of she... Uh, saw these posts about the spirit people I've been seeing and kind of built a story around that so it would sound believable and we're looking at kind of a fake situation or is this a real psychic that actually really picked up on real information and is confirming this was a real a real person who lived in this facility potentially died in this facility and is now haunting this location so that is something unfortunately we do need to think about sometimes is Unfortunately, there is some people who try to profit off of these kinds of things and may try to take advantage of being able to look up history and records or look at what people are experiencing and try to build stories around that. So that is something we do have to take with a grain of salt sometimes is trying to figure out if our source is reliable or not, unfortunately, when we're talking about paranormal information. Uh, but I did want to throw that out there. And while I'm on the topic of the psychic, she also picked up on the nurse who jumped off the building. And she said that she believed that the nurse had been depressed just from the isolation of the place. How, like we were saying earlier, they were very cut off from society. They couldn't go and interact with anybody outside of the hospital system. So probably not interacting with any family or friends. So, uh... Again, going back to the idea of, you know, maybe it wasn't that she was diagnosed with tuberculosis or there was anything else going on. Maybe it was just straight up she was depressed about the situation she was in, uh, is what the psychic was stating. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to throw that in there uh, since that was probably the first and only evidence I really came across of a psychic doing any sort of investigation into this location. So it was interesting to see what that what she picked up on that. Uh, location, uh, but as always, uh, take with green salt. <laughs> Alright, so getting into a couple more general ghosties, and then we'll go into some very specific ghosties. There's been apparitions of doctors in white coats, nurses, and children, and often the doctors and nurses are seen walking out on the solarium, or there's been some spotted that will... Uh, be seen walking to look out the window and then we'll turn around and walk back into the room. The body shoot, like I mentioned earlier, is known to be, or I guess I should say rumored to be, one of the most haunted locations in the building. And I mean, considering how many bodies were carried through that part of the building, I'm not surprised. <laughs> 
There's a rumor that people have seen our hearse uh, appear at the back of the building, dropping off coffins, and then suddenly disappears. So it sounds like we might have a ghostly hearse going on here. <laughs> There's also disembodied voices and moans in the body shoot. That's some of what uh, the shows picked up on. I believe this Ghost Hunters picked up on some of that. Some really creepy moans in the body shoot and not even EVPs like you can audibly hear them so that was some some creepy stuff uh footsteps coming up the stairs sounding like they're following people when they're walking back up the stairs and then this one really got me employees and investigators have gotten locked in and out of the body shoot <laughs> so the whole idea of <laughs> Getting locked in the body shoot after you've just heard some really creepy moaning and footsteps and noises and now you're locked in. Like, no, no, thank you. Absolutely uh, not. That's a big nope. Oh, God. Uh, such a big nope. Oh, no. The sad no, side no. is that I'm like, I want to go visit. <laughs> I love to go visit. And my brain's like, you know, damn good. Well, you're going to get locked in that body shoot. I'm like, I want to go visit. <laughs> Maybe this will be one of those places where one day we will go on a ghost investigation. There. We'll record it. Put it on YouTube. Yep. We'll report back on if we get locked in the body shoot. <laughs> Now, the cafeteria and kitchen, they seem a little bit more benign in their haunts. There's a spectral man in a white coat and pants who's been sighted walking around. And a lot of people actually smell food cooking or fresh bread baking in the kitchen, even though nothing has been cooked there since 1982. So that that's something I could, I could live with that. That'd be cool. That actually pretty... Well, I mean, I get the smell of baked bread going throughout this house all the time. Which is very unfortunate because I'm gluten-free and I have to tell Aww. my poor Nana that I'm like, I cannot eat that. You will kill me. Uh. I will slow it all over the walls, okay? We can't do that. <laughs> but it's just, it's that constant, like, it's Claire, uh, oh God, what is it? Claire alias? Yeah, Claire alias, which means clear smelling. It's the ability to smell orders that don't have any kind of physical source. Okay. It's common. Like, my mom and I get it all the time. Like, she'll be walking around. She always smells either certain foods that she hasn't made in a while, or my personal favorite is I'll be walking around this house and I will get whiffs of my Nana's perfume. Oh. So, yeah, I don't think the baking bread is necessarily a bad thing. I think that would be very comforting in a place that feels like there's a lot of... Not so much dark, but negative sourced energy. Definitely, yeah. It doesn't seem like there's, a like you said, a lot of dark or anything I'd call demonic. Though I am about to talk about one really creepy thing. Um, it's but, just all creepy. That's that's so far what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's mostly just like creepy thing, creepy spirits that have originated from a more negative period in history with just what was going on, but nothing that mm -hmm. seems like evil by any means or malevolent like that's a good way to put it malevolent yeah we, we aren't seeing anything malevolent well besides the one guy getting punched i feel bad for that guy but besides that guy for the most part we're not seeing anybody like getting hurt or having malevolent 
actions or behaviors coming from the spirits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know what that guy did either. He could that be like, true. I was minding my own business when in all reality he's like, fight me, ghosts. Right? That is true. Some people definitely try to pick a fight and agitate spirits and then uh, might get a little bit of a bigger reaction. All right. So now we're moving into some specific spirits. So this one I'm going to discuss next is probably the one that creeped me out the most besides the big black one that just covers the entire hallway. That was pretty bad, too. So this one's the creeper. So we can add that to our list of creepy named spirits. (laughs) And this is a shadow figure that has been known to crouch in corners or walk out of doorways and then fall on all fours and start either crawling across the floor or (gasps) climbing the walls and the ceilings if you approach it. No, 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 no crawly things in the fucking hallway. (laughs) You'd love that one. Absolutely (laughs) not. He's the spider. He's the spider of the paranormal world, and he knows that he's embracing his true identity. <laughs> oh, no. Uh-huh. Basically, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, Zachary, I hate it, too. One of our, like- our worst nightmares for, for Katie. You want to watch me nope out of a place and like make a fucking Scooby-Doo imprint in a goddamn wall. And then I'll be standing a block away eating a goddamn taco at like a fucking food truck being like, I was in that building. It's me, okay? (laughs) It's me when bitches crawling on the ceiling. (laughs) Hell no. God, absolutely not. <laughs> now, <laughs> some do believe the spirit to be demonic in nature. I haven't heard anything of that particular spirit doing anything malevolent in terms of attempting to hurt somebody or intimidate somebody beyond just being outright creepy. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if I personally would consider it a demonic spirit. I would consider it a creepy as fuck spirit that I do not want to meet, but I would not probably consider it demonic personally, but some people do think it's demonic in nature. Demonic in nature. He came from the woods outside. Okay. That's what happens when you let flesh pedestrians inside. Okay. <laughs> like hey, a haunted house for me to chill in i will live here this is my home now oh all right so now moving back to a couple more ghosts that these are believed to be from the tuberculosis time period of the building so the first one is more much more of an innocent spirit so We're going to briefly talk about Timmy, and this is the ghost of a six to seven year old child who is apparently looking for somebody to play with on the third floor, though he has been sighted on other floors as well. And it's believed that if you roll a ball to Timmy, he will roll the ball back to you. 
And so it's been, uh, skeptics a lot of time will say it's either wind or uneven floors, which of course I cannot disprove either of those things. I haven't seen any like good tests of the location to see if either of those could be causing it. Um, but there's a lot of people have experienced this whole thing of rolling the ball down the hallway and it rolling back. So either Timmy's there or they have a very uneven hallway. <laughs> but it'd be nice to think Timmy's there. Well, nice in terms of there being a nice ghost. Of course, I want Timmy to rest in peace. But Executive decision. It's Timmy. Timmy's a sweet boy. <laughs> it just has to be Timmy. <laughs> dark ass place. It's Timmy, okay? I have to believe that Timmy just wants to play, and he wants a friend. And they're all really nice to Timmy, and when nobody's around, they play with Timmy, okay? Like, he's <laughs> he's, the, he's the light in this in this place, okay? <laughs> we need a light in the dark. Timmy, be our light in the dark. Timmy, be our light in the dark. I want you to rest in peace. I hope that you're resting peacefully. But I will also roll a ball with you down the hall. Like, all of y'all can go chill out and watch Crawly Four Legs on the ceiling. I will go play with Timmy. Right? Oh, my God. Now, there is other children's spirits believed to haunt the hospital. There have been multiple children's spirits seen in the solarium, including that of a little girl named Mary who likes to play hide-and-seek. There is, uh, this is where it borderlines a little creepy for me. Children heard chanting on the roof, ring around the rosy. That, that would creep me out. I, I don't know how I feel about that one. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting choice for what's happening there. It's not Black Death. Yeah, yeah. But it is something that's reminiscent of tragic illness and epidemic slash pandemics definitely yeah and i i would think that they probably would not have known what the song was about and that was not intentional because as an innocent hopefully innocent child (laughs) i would hope they didn't know what the song was about but yeah it's definitely an interesting connection there that is an interesting connection And I will mention that uh, there is definitely, there was definitely, like I said, children in the hospital for sure. Uh, Whether that was because the children themselves were sick with tuberculosis or because they had parents who were sick with tuberculosis. There were some cases where both their parents were sick, so they were also brought to the hospital because there wasn't anybody else to take care of them. And so there was a few different reasons why they could be there. But uh, the roof was often where the children would be taken for heliotherapy or sun exposure therapy. Again, the whole idea that sun can treat tuberculosis. And so they actually had swings and a play set out on the roof so the kids could go up there because it's one of those gravel roofs where you can walk out on it. And they could play on the swings and and play games out in the sun. So that was a, a little ray of light in this dark place for me. I was thinking that these sick kids could at least still go play on the playground or, or whatnot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say that this playground was on the roof? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to have to add the window shutdown noise to this. I have... <laughs> we all know that at some point in our fucking childhood, we launched ourselves off of the goddamn swing sets. Yep. Just yeeted ourselves. 
It's on the roof? Yeah, I don't know how well thought that part out was. <laughs> I mean, that also begs the question of why do you put a dementia uh, elderly care home in a place with no windows? <laughs> True. But let's put the children that don't have the full mental capacity to go, I should not hop from the swing set when it's arced all the way at its peak. <laughs> I should not jump from the swing set while it's swinging out to fling me like a damn slingshot. <laughs> I'm really hoping that the swing set was going a long ways down the building because if it's going hamburger ways, they <laughs> I know how Timmy died, okay? <laughs> He's like, I don't play upstairs with the rest of the kids because it's a little scary up there. I don't blame you, Timmy. <laughs> I like oh my balls god! Now. I don't like the swings anymore. <laughs> it's the kid that's just like, I gotta go home now. <laughs> they get hurt. roll the ball with you Timmy we don't have to play on the danger playground <laughs> oh. what was that mental thinking we didn't even put it like back behind the sanatorium you know people aren't gonna be around the area like it's good to go outside no we're not gonna put it on the property <laughs> on a level ground where the likelihood of death does not mix no let's put it on the roof <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the fuck is that thinking? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not thinking. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the planning came from. There. God damn. Where is OSHA uh, when you need them? <laughs> not here, apparently. Not here. <laughs> they don't exist yet. Oh, oh no. Oh. No. Uh, <sighs> Before I move on from the kids, I hate to kill the mood, but I did want to say, too, that God, damn it. Uh, this was something that, again, really, I think, brings up the point about how the nurses and the doctors were likely really struggling mental health-wise, as one nurse told a story of how often she'd come into work and would find the children surrounding an empty bed where one of their friends used to lay and had passed away. So, I mean, this was really hard on the kids, no. too. And so oh, I'm, no. I'm happy to hear that they had, like, some areas for these kids to get out and be kids in all this. Because that was one thing that did pop in my mind when reading about, like, oh, there's kids in this hospital. It was like, wow. And, I mean, even nowadays you have sick kids. So just this idea of, like, sick kids just being able to be kids and do kid things, mm -hmm. like, play. But I can't imagine how hard it was. It had to be That had so to be hard. excruciatingly yeah. hard. Especially, like, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't imagine being a, a kid in this time period and, and being sick with such a terrible disease mm -hmm. and seeing your friends sick and then dealing with all this. Or, or even if you're one of those kids that maybe you weren't sick, but your parents were. I mean, that And you really had nowhere to. else to go. You had exactly. to go with them or be faced with putting into like an orphanage. And those scenarios yep. weren't good either. Yep. And the likelihood, like, 
you wouldn't end up back there after being in an orphanage where people are constantly coming in and out. There's new kids coming oh, in yeah. and out. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's, it's rough. Like, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. So, again, like you said earlier, with the thinking not only about the deaths, but also the trauma that's happened here, there's definitely a lot of trauma involving the children as well. And mm-hmm. so I think it unfortunately makes sense that we have a bunch of children's spirits running around is that there is definitely children, unfortunately, passing away from tuberculosis or other causes, but also experiencing a lot of trauma in this location. Now, to wrap up the ghosties here, the nurse who is rumored to have hanged herself is said to haunt the location of the full-body apparition. Now, room 502 of is another place, probably next to the body chute, that's known for being very haunted. It's gotten seemingly intelligent responses in some of the investigations, uh, but also has had some not-so-friendly disembodied voices. They've gotten uh, voices saying, get out. A lot of time, people when they're in that room will feel sick or like there's an overbearing weight on them. Other people feel just a very severe feeling of despair. And one interesting thing is that apparently uh, pregnant women often get so sick in the room they have to leave. Even women who didn't know they were pregnant at the time this happened. And so that definitely seems to connect back to the idea that the nurse who hanged herself was pregnant at the time or had recently miscarried or had an abortion. Uh, That's definitely an interesting connection right there. So maybe that does lend some truth to that story. Uh, but yeah, so the one of the nurses who commit suicide is also believed to haunt the hospital and has been cited. All right, so we've covered a whole lot of history and a whole lot of spirits today. Uh, I'm going to wrap up here with how to get involved with this location. If you're interested and you want to learn more, of course, there's a website you can go check out. You can look at my sources for that. Uh, I did want to mention before we wrap up, uh, there is an ongoing lawsuit between the building's owners and the Historical Society. I don't know the whole story behind what's going on there, so I can't really say a whole lot about it. I tried to poke around and look up some more information, and, and there's some articles out there, but they're behind a paywall, and it was just one of those situations of I could only find so much information on it. Uh, I have multiple sources that did say for over 20 years the Mattingling, excuse me, the Mattingleys were running the place and using the profits to restore the building. And it seems like the community felt like they were doing a good job of it, but I can't personally speak on that since I don't live in the area or know anybody there. Uh, but there's now a lawsuit ongoing and there is protests in April of this year. And there's now a petition on behalf of Mattingly's. So I will throw in the show notes, the link, uh, to that website. You can go check it out if interested and make a decision for yourself on, uh, how you feel about that situation. And if you are interested in the petition or not, uh, like I said, I don't have enough information that I really feel comfortable, um, saying one thing or the other but I did want to bring that up as that is a very recent thing that has come about and I didn't feel like it was right to have let 
to end the history saying that the Mattinglys still own the building and were running it and all that when this is going on. So that's just something I wanted to bring up. And then as well is that um, the location still offers two-hour paranormal and historical tours, and they also offer six-hour public paranormal investigations and private paranormal investigations. So if you're into the paranormal or if you're into the history, definitely go check it out. It sounds like they have some really cool tours or paranormal investigations you can go on for those of you who are interested and live in Kentucky or somewhere nearby. I do want to throw this out here for the ending because it cracked me up. Uh, it sounds like something I would say. Well, maybe not entirely. But <laughs> one of the, the rules for the paranormal investigations, keep this in mind, Kitty, if we ever go visit. <laughs> Rule number five, I quote, seances, Ouija boards, rituals, and open flames are strictly prohibited, end quote. <laughs> so you can't bring your mints. <laughs> Shit, can't bring my mints. It's okay, I'll leave them in the car. It's fine. I just had to throw that in there because as I was scrolling through to see what all the tours are that they offer to tell you lovely listeners about the tours, I saw that and I was like, damn right, don't bring your Ouija boards in here. I don't want your Ouija boards in here. No Ouija boards. But yeah, I thought that would be a good thing to end on. Uh, is, uh, don't bring your Ouija boards to your tour, please. And and don't bring your candles either. <laughs> or your Ouija board mints. Those aren't allowed either. <laughs> no Ouija board mints. It's okay. <laughs> I'll just bring my zombie ones instead. It'll be okay. There you go. We'll I have no idea where they're at. I'll have to find them first. <laughs> but that is Waverly Hills. I know we covered a lot, a lot, a lot of information today. So thank you for sticking with us. Not staking with us. There will be no stakes because there's no vampires here. Thank you for sticking (laughs) with us. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously we need to wrap this up soon because I'm losing my ability to talk. God, well, while Ree goes and stakes some people, guys, <laughs> thank you so, so much for listening. Um, I just want to bring up that we are starting to look for sponsors to mention on the podcast. So if you're interested in having us talk about your company on the podcast, please email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. All right. I don't think I have All any right. more announcements. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you again for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting Cases. If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are you haunted too?